Romans chapter 2. Uh, we didn't finish that section last week, so we're picking up at verse 12, Romans 2, verses 12 to 16. I'll give you just brief context. Um, we've had these groups of people, so the whole uh, portion has been the apostle saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is necessary for the salvation of the lost. Uh, and then he has gone to say, why is the gospel so important? Why do we really need it? Um, why is it necessary? And so he has kind of classified people in these groups. And so uh, that first group that we read about a few weeks ago was a group that knew the word of God, knew what was right, knew what he required, and willfully went against it. And not only did they willfully go against it, but they encouraged other people to willfully go against it. And it, he says that they actually suppress the truth. So the truth about God, the things that can be known, they work on hiding it from people. And so we kind of agree that first group of people sound pretty awful. Like, we can understand when we read that. Yeah, God, will you please judge those people? They're doing horrible things. And not only are they doing horrible things to you, but they're trying to include other people in things that are harmful and hurtful to them and to you, O oh Father. Then there was a second group. Uh, last week that I said we, we can kind of align with that group. It's that group that thinks we're pretty much better than other people. And I don't know if you remember that last week, but I looked at you all and I said, we all kind of think we're better than other people. I mean, deep down in our heart, we're just, we're, we're better than the average person and we're better than maybe most people. And he, he challenged those people because they say we keep the law of God, but they really don't. They may keep it outwardly, but not inwardly. And so, for instance, when we read uh, Matthew chapter 5 for a confession of sin, uh, Matthew 5 to 7 is Jesus saying, oh, you think you keep the law, but do you understand the full intent of the law? That was the second group. Um, and the third group is what we read about today. Now, this group, it's actually really a third and fourth group. It's a group that knows the law, and it's a group that's ignorant of the law. And, and so it's, he kind of divides this group into, uh, it's kind of this almost catch-all, the people who know the law of God and the people who don't know the law of God in summary. Um, and so I've titled this sermon, Universal Judgment. Uh, uh, well, because you'll see, especially in verse 16, that the judgment of God is universal. So uh, we'll pick up then in verse 12 of chapter 2. If you're able, please stand for the reading of God's word. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even, they, even though they do not have the law. They, know that they show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. A couple weeks ago, I talked about putting to death some of the common myths about God and Christianity. Uh, this morning, we get to put to death two common myths 
about God and about Christianity. The first myth is that those who don't know the gospel, those who've never had a chance to reject it, those who are ignorant of it, and our text says those without the law, and we'll talk about that in a minute. He talks about the law and a law. Those are different things, but those who've not heard the law, those without the law, uh, we tend to hear people say, well, of course, they're not going to be punished. You know, they never had a chance. Uh, they didn't have a chance to reject Christ, so how could they be punished? Um, well, that's just not true. It's just not true. It's not true that those who have not heard the law of God are somehow exempt from being judged by it. This text will prove that. Um, but even logic proves that, right? If, if that were true, the guy writing this letter, he faced shipwreck, flogging, 39 lashes, beating, stoning, it, it, all because he had this passion for people who had not heard the law of God to hear it. He withstood all of those things. I, I mean, you know, when we torture people, I hope, hopefully we don't torture people, but when people are tortured, the reason behind torture is that pain will bring out truth. Right? You want to tell me the truth? Where did you hide the money? I don't know any, anything about any money. Well, off comes the little finger. Okay, I know something about money. Where is it? I don't know. Off comes the next finger, right? And, and then all of a sudden, lo and behold, I know where the money is, right? We know that about human beings, that a certain amount of suffering will prove to them what is true, and that was the apostle. He suffered. He did not have Apostle Appreciation Sunday. He didn't. He would preach the gospel, and he would be dragged out of a city, and he'd be stoned, rocks thrown at him, left for dead. He would be called names by all the other religious leaders, okay? So if it was at all possible that people could be saved without hearing the law of God and understanding his gospel, there is no way that he would have put up with all of that. The second myth those who follow a different religion but are devout. Though they worship God, they're worshiping the same God, just using a different name, and he doesn't care. I'm sure you probably heard that. Surely God's going to look at these people because they're devout, because they're trying, because they're sincere, and he's going to receive them. He's going to accept them. Again, it's illogical. Right? It, it, it makes absolutely no sense that a sovereign God would say, uh, there's all these other ways to be made right by me, but just for those hard-headed Christians in Oklahoma, Jesus, you're going to have to go and die. It makes no logical sense, but it's also it's just not taught in the Scriptures. So that first group we would call, in our text, those without the law. The second group would be those with the law, um, but it's their own law. Um, but these, these truths are hard for us, right? It's hard for us. I'm not saying it's easy. I think that there, there are people out there that have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ that are going to eternally suffer. That's not an easy doctrine. Okay? It doesn't make me feel good. It's not, we don't have a lot of songs written about that, do we? doesn't make me feel good, but it is true. One of the reasons we don't like it, please listen, one of the reasons we don't like it is because we do think that our salvation 
it may be 90% God, but it's 10% me. We tend to think, it, I, I made that right choice. I'm choosing to be here on a Sunday. I might miss the kickoff of one of my favorite games. Uh, my buddies are sleeping in. I, I choose. I, 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 I waited in my head and I decided. Right. And so we think, if we think in any way that the salvation that we have was because of our own wisdom, our own goodness. First of all, we've not read Ephesians. Right, we haven't read Ephesians. We've got to read Ephesians because the apostle says, yeah, that's what you think. We all think that. It's just not true. You're dead. The only reason you're saved, the only reason you belong to me is because God sent his spirit. When we grasp that, that it's not in my ability, it's not in my skill, it's not in my goodness, it is in the sovereign, divine love of God whereby I am saved, those doctrines are easier to accept. If they're hard for you, I want to encourage you to do two things. First of all, I want you to read the Old Testament. Right? There's a picture of the conquest of Israel, and, and those are hard texts for many people. But when Israel was conquesting the land, when they were taking the promised land that was given to them, they would approach a people. And they were given instructions. Go to the gate of that city. And when you go to the gate of that city, offer these terms of peace. Offer these terms of peace. If they'd refuse these terms of peace, annihilate them and their gods. Remove them from the face of the earth. Remove their gods from the face of the earth. You know what their gods were doing at time of conquest? Their gods were horrific to community. Some ways were similar. Their gods, most of their gods in that conquest, were fertility gods. And the worship of those gods uh, involved sexual practices. What did they do with those babies that came out of the cult prostitution? They sacrificed those babies. When we walk today, when we raise money for our pregnancy center, it is many Christians saying, we value life because of God's image. What is our culture doing? We are worshiping sexuality, and we have to do something to get rid of the babies. We go to science to try to keep from having babies, and when we have babies, we try to kill the babies. Try to, uh, that's the blunt truth. In many ways, we've not changed much. The world hasn't changed much. It just looks a little nicer. It's done a little differently. In that same manner, if you think that God's judgment doesn't exist, if you think that it doesn't matter, if you think that he's going to let this go, this text is for you. And if it's hard for you, like I say, read the Old Testament conquest. Realize they were given terms to surrender, and some did. That's why you read about Gentiles, even in the Old Testament, following God and being a part of his community people. But also read the New Testament. God reveals himself. And God speaks harshly against all false religions and any straying from the true gospel. Right? He says, let them be cursed who take my gospel and twist it. In our text today, I'm going to start with verse 16. On that day, he says, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. That day is coming. On that day. Our God will judge by the secrets. Things you've hidden from other people, things you've hidden even from yourself, our God will judge. And so the sermon in the sentence this morning is we must let the law of God do its work of removing all excuses that we may have a right appreciation of the work of Jesus. We've got to let God's law do its work. 
I think we do a pretty good job of that in our church. We have a, a reading that calls us to confession. It's God's law. It's God's law as he sees it. We, we pause and we, we let that go into our minds and our hearts and we hold our life up to the law of God and we say, Lord God, I have broken your law here and here. Have mercy upon me, O Christ. Let the law of God do its work. We might have a right appreciation of the work of Jesus. Um, so the text this morning, universal judgment. I'm going to go through it fairly quickly. We're going to look at three things. One, the inescapable reality of God's judgment. And two, those with the law and those without the law. First, the inescapable reality of God's judgment. Verse 16. Um, I think on the text up there it says, it has a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And it's one of his last letters from prison. He writes this. I don't think it's Christian to want to get to the New Testament too soon or too directly. You may not know what he means by that, but he was in a German prison, in a Nazi prison, and he was executed. A Lutheran minister executed by the Nazis. Uh, and he writes, as he is thinking about God and his judgment and his wrath, he is finding hope in it. He loses his life. He doesn't see the victory. He doesn't see it. He doesn't encounter it. He doesn't see Hitler getting, uh, you know, what's that, the eagle's nest. He doesn't see all of that. He doesn't watch Band of Brothers. He, he doesn't get to know. What does he know? God will judge. All these horrible, evil atrocities that he has spoken out against. The butchering of the Lutheran church. The Nazi Lutheran. God is going to see all of that. And so he says, in a sense, don't get to the New Testament too soon. Do not forget our God is a consuming fire. And his wrath burns purely and hotly. Do not let his patience trick you into thinking it doesn't exist. Um, I want to define a couple of terms, and then we'll move on. Uh, the first is the using of the word the law. So when he says those who have the law, uh, when it has that definite article in front of it, the law, he is referring really, to God's law, okay? And primarily, when we talk about the law, it's the first five books of the Old Testament. So he's like, you have the law, right? You have it written. Um, it, it usually falls out in three different areas. We have this moral law, uh, which is the, the right and wrong between us and God and between us and each other. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't cheat, don't bear false witness. Um, the, the moral law. We have the civil law in those first five books, how the government should work under the rule of God. Um, a picture, really a foreshadow of what it will look like when God rules finally and fully and surely uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, and then there's the ceremonial law, how we worship, and in the Old Testament, how we are to be cleansed, how sinful people are to approach a God, how we are to have our sins removed. There were laws about that. There were ways. It was wonderful. Our God said, when you break the law, here's what you do. When you fail in this area, because all men fail, here is what you do. So he, he knows who we are as he delivers this law. So that's what he means when he says those who have the law and those who don't have the law. The second term, justified. Um, justified means being declared righteous. Okay, It's a legal term. Uh, you are accused of this, this, and this, but you have been justified. You're not just declared um, uh, forgiven, but you're actually you're declared right. Not just sins removed, 
but uh, the act of righteousness of Christ put on you. So when he says uh, you are justified by the law, he is saying that there was a way in the law to make oneself right. Thirdly, my gospel. When Paul says, uh, according to my gospel, uh, we should all say that. My gospel. The gospel of Jesus Christ, it, it is mine. It belongs to me. I rest in it. I have received it. It speaks to me. The gospel of Jesus Christ, I'm more sinful than I could imagine, than I could know, but I'm also more loved than I could ever dare hope. I am going to be received into God's presence um, because my sins have been cleansed by Christ and, I, and he has wrapped me with his record of righteousness. So when he uses that term uh, justified, that's what that means. Um, oh, I'm sorry, my gospel. That's what that means. And then the last one, the last term would be that day. So again in verse 16 when he says on that day, the, again that term that day uh, for the apostle means the day of judgment. Okay, so on that day. Now, it may not be a 24-hour day. It may be a season, a time period when God judges humanity. And, and so um, that, that's those terms now about the judgment. Um, uh, those are the terms. Secondly, I want you to know the judgment is imminent. It is coming. The scripture says in the days of Noah, when people were going on about their business, and then the flood came. That the day of God's judgment will be the same. People will be going on and on, planning, getting married, doing whatever, um, and the judgment of God is going to come upon them as the flood came upon humanity. It is universal. Nothing in all creation will be spared from God's judgment. The writer of Hebrews say all will have to give an account. All thoughts and intentions and attitudes will be laid open. It's an important thing for us when we wonder where God is when there is so much evil in the world. His judgment is coming. And, and he is storing up his wrath for that day. The scriptures say he is waiting until all of his sheep are gathered in. All that he has called to be his. He is patiently waiting the salvation of all of his people. And when that happens, his judgment is coming. Uh, fourthly, it is severe. The judgment of God will be severe. Like the flood, like the conquest, it will be severe. Make no mistake, it will be awful for those without Christ. Scriptures say there will be weeping there will be gnashing of teeth, teeth set on edge, these pictures of such pain and anguish. The judgment of God, it is universal. It is imminent and it is severe. Knowing this, knowing this only a fool would consider, would not consider God's plan of salvation. Those with the law, those without the law. So I want you to consider the law for a moment. Um, I don't watch a lot of NFL, but even I, <laughs> even I have not missed on the controversial roughing the passer calls lately, right? I mean, right? Sometimes it's just, it's just, it's just hard, isn't it? It's just hard to watch. Like there's this group of people that are supposed to be dealt with differently than the rest of them, right? 
I don't know what your take is on it, but what I find interesting is uh, the call comes, right, and they, they, they pause, they throw the flag, they look for a review, and then they go to their guy in New York, right? Let's go to the guy in New York, because, you know, the guy in New York knows what's supposed to happen, right? Meanwhile, in the stands, everybody's yelling at the referees. And sometimes I feel like that. I feel like the referee, like, right? Here's what God's word says. Boo. <laughs> you can't do that. Boo. Get out of here. Like, it's not me. It's his, it's his word. Sometimes I feel like that's what the ref is saying. Listen, the ref might even himself say, yeah, this is a stupid rule, but it is the rule. Right? And, and I think we have to think about that when we talk about the law of God. Sometimes we hear the law of God and we're like, boo. I don't like it. It makes it feel uncomfortable. It doesn't seem right. It's not what everybody else says. But you just have to kind of settle this, right? And I've settled it. It's God's law. It's not Mark's, not Three Rivers. It's God's law. 1985, I had a really sweet 4x4. It was a Toyota. 1969 Toyota FJ40 Land Cruiser, three on the tree. Three on the tree. It had a stick ship on the tree. Some of you are like, what is a stick shift? Yeah, exactly. That's how cool it was. You wouldn't even know how to drive it. It was that cool. It had a power takeoff winch on the front. What's a power takeoff winch? Yeah, see? You don't even know how cool it is. I could lower myself down a cliff with that thing. I could put my transmission in reverse, hook the winch, lower myself dangling off a cliff. That's how cool that was. You know what the law said? There's a certain portion off-road in Colorado that I wasn't allowed to drive it on. Psh. Yeah, how come so many of my illustrations about sin involve me and cars, right? I get caught up, up high up in the mountains. I went places that Tammy jumped out of the car and said, you're an idiot, and walked home. I had to pull my mirrors in to get between these trees, and then I hear this motorcycle. Ning, 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 ning. Some cop gets a dirt bike and finds me up in the mountains. Finds me in the mountains. I'm like, this can't be happening. This can't be true. And I get this ticket of criminal trespass. That's for four-wheeling up in the mountains, enjoying God's creation, being a good human. I get busted. Now, there's ways I responded to that, probably three ways that I tried to get out of it. The first was I questioned, really, the wisdom and the extent of the law. I went to the cop and I said, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. This law is to keep dust from getting into our drinking water, correct? Correct. Did you see the guy who was playing fetch with his dog in the drinking water? That's not illegal. I don't care if it's not illegal. That's my drinking water. That's much worse than me driving my truck up here. Do you see me creating dust? Didn't matter. It was the law. I tried ignorance. And I actually really lied, but I tried ignorance. How am I supposed to know that it's uh, illegal? I don't see any signs around here. How am I supposed to know? That didn't work. Then I tried motives. Officer, you know I didn't mean to hurt anybody. And that didn't work. Didn't work with the officer, and it also didn't work with the judge. Now, I like it whenever I talk about judges, I get a text message from Clayton. Clayton, wait until after the service before you buzz my watch. Clayton usually responds, the lawyer in our church, by saying, I could have gotten you out of this. 
classification here, the apostle says there are those with the law, those who know and those who heard the law. You understand that that is you. There is a certain amount of expectation placed upon you because you've heard the law of God. You have had it preached to you. You've had it taught. You've had it promoted. You've had it given to you. And so verses 12 to 15 talk about those with the law and those without. I'm going to divide them up just quickly here. He says a couple of things about those with the law. Those with the law are those like me who saw the sign. We just didn't think what we were doing was really that bad. Maybe we had good intentions. Maybe we know better than the law. He says, those who know the law, you have sinned under it. No one will be found guiltless under God's law. Those who've received it can read it. They can memorize it. They can say it. For the Jews, they had it on their, uh, on their doorpost of their home. Uh, sometimes if you're, going, if you're buying real estate and you go to a home owned by a traditional Jew, you'll see the law of God put on their doorpost um, as a reminder. It's like, you know it. You had it written to you, and yet you have broken it. He says it's not the knowing or the hearing that saves you or justifies you or gives you a pass. You will be judged by that law. It is the doers of the law who will be justified. Right? It's interesting he uses the word justified. It's the doers of the law who will be justified. And I believe it's because he is saying that that law in and of itself to do that law is to live your life in front of it, to live it transparently before God, his word, and his people, and when you break that law, to follow what the law says. The law also provides a way out. The law also provides a way of being reconciled. There was a day of atonement given, right? Our God says, here's what it will look like to live under the law. You will always be coming back to me in this life and, and living in a relationship of repentance and faith. Um, I often think, what would it be like um, in this second group, those without the law, but even those with the law, what would it be like, anybody have Alexa in their house? Yeah. Um, I guess you could say, uh, Alexa, tell me all the things you've heard. Kids, do you know this? I think you can say that. Alexa, tell me all the things you've heard in the last month. Yeah. I'm getting rid of mine right away. Can you imagine how awful that is? Uh, but think of that in reference to those without the law. He says, you are a law to yourself. So he goes from saying, you have the law to you are a law. The Gentiles who uh, pronounce a law. So that's the second group, right? He's saying this, this big data is going to accuse you. Those without the law. They didn't see the sign. The gate was open. Um, they've sinned under their own law. And he says two things here. He goes, uh, appeal to nature in verse 14. When the Gentiles who don't have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not have the law, right? They, they are a law to themselves. What's he saying? There's something in the nature of human beings, the way they are created, that desire the law of God, right? In the sandbox, little kids before they're even taught, they say, that's wrong, don't do that, that's not fair, that's not right. Um, there is something natural, when he says natural, when they do, uh, uh, they show naturally that they have the law. It's saying in the created order. Human beings know 
because they're image bearers of God, that lying, killing, theft, even infidelity is wrong. They make excuses for it. They hide it. They shift the blame, but they know it is wrong. Uh, pretty much every culture, there may be a few outliers, know that love is greater than hatred. Right? Life is greater than death. People in community make laws, and they don't keep them. It says even those without the law, they've made their own law, and they've been unable to keep it. Francis Schaeffer says, if every human being had a tape recorder that just recorded every judgment you ever made, and then as your life was played out, the tape recorder was hit play, that there's no human being ever they'll be able to keep all the laws that they have demanded of others. And that's what the apostle is saying. Those without the law, they've been a law to themselves, and they still need the gospel of God. Those with the law, they've broken that law, and they need the gospel of God. He secondly appears, appeals to their conscience in verse 15. And this is part of that image bearer. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuses them. Just put it this way. One of the, maybe one of the most horrible things about living without God's law, listen, because you're going to live with one or the other. You really are. You're going to live with, with God's law or you're going to live with your own law. And if you live with your own law, then you're constantly changing it, altering it, wondering if other people are keeping it, uh, judging other people by things and then wondering what you're being judged by. These laws that, that we have in our society, they change just so fast. We surround ourselves with people that try to keep that same, we call them values maybe, keep the same values as we do. And then one breaks it. And then you break it. And all of a sudden you're out. It, it creates insecurity. It creates insecurity in relationships and insecurity in community. Those without the law will be judged without the law. I'll just give you one more illustration. I'm a terrible golfer. Dustin has tried his best, and he's given up. It's okay, brother. Uh, I was playing at Shangri-La, hit a golf cart. Wasn't my golf cart, somebody else's golf cart. Guy starts yelling, cussing. I did yell four. Just not loud enough, I guess. I apologize. Like, what are you doing? They're just yelling at me. I'm like, it's, it's okay, dude. I, you know, I, nobody's hurt. I didn't do it on purpose. I yelled four, right? Three holes later, that joker drives the ball right into my fairway. So you know what the etiquette is, don't you? You're supposed to drive your golf cart over his ball. No, that's not the etiquette. But it was funny for me. I just sat there and I just thought, dude, you just broke your own law. Right? You just broke, okay, you didn't hit a golf cart, but you didn't hit it where you're supposed to hit it. Why on earth would you hold other people up to this thing that you are not going to hit 100% of the time? That's what the apostles saying. Those without the law, they're insecure. They create a law that, that enables them to look down on other people, feel good about themselves, go to sleep. Uh, they, they, they kick people out that disagree with that law. They invite people. They build a community around that law about what's important, what's right, what's good, what defines you as a good and worthwhile person. And they're so insecure. Those with the law, those without the law. We run to Jesus. 
the last verse, that last phrase, how beautiful is that? When we are judged by Jesus. He's the judge. Hear it again. God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. Christian, if you're a Christian, and as we come to this table, I want that, that portion of that phrase to just stick in your mind. I am going to have all of my thoughts and intentions judged by Jesus. And what does Jesus, the righteous judge, do? Now, now just remember, he's so qualified to be the righteous judge. Right? Jesus is that judge that has kept everything. Right? He, he has the audacity to say, can any of you accuse me of one sin? Of course he's the righteous judge. He also had human flesh. He faced temptations of lust and greed and materialism and lying, sexual perversion. He faced those temptations. He is the righteous judge, and he judges our thoughts and intentions. But what does he offer us now? We're not yet at that day, are we? We're not yet at that day. He offers us himself. And he says, here, 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 is, here is how you may be judged. Take my yoke upon you. You know, a yoke is, we don't really see it, but it was where, it was where a, a, a young ox would be bound to a strong, older ox. And that young ox would be taught the way of life, would be bound together, would go the direction of the strong ox. And Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, for my burden is light. This is what our Jesus says to us. Receive me. Your secret thoughts, intentions, and attitudes will not stand before me for judgment. But I am giving you my life in place. I am shedding my blood instead of yours. Why do we need the gospel? Because those of us with the law have broken it and sinned under it. Those of us who don't have the law, we have sinned without the law. And all will face judgment. And so the beauty of our gospel really is this, that we are justified by his law of holiness, by his law of the gospel. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we thank you that we should never be surprised by your judgment, that you have forewarned, you have told us. And where we stand in reference to biblical history, we see that you have shown your power and might whether it is the fire and sulfur that you rain down upon sinful cities, whether it is the Red Sea destroying the most powerful nation on earth, or it is the resurrection of your Son, you have demonstrated that you hate evil more than any of us. The things that bother us, that are broken in this world, that cause us anger, Oh, Father, your anger is righteous and holy, and you will cleanse it. And yet, rather than being afraid, Father, you have offered us your Son and say, find your rest in Him. And so, Lord, I pray that everyone here receives and rests and believes and trusts. That the Apostle was telling the Romans this, that they might find salvation and security in Christ. And so we ask you to set apart these elements. This bread is a symbol. 
of your body as wine, as a sign and a symbol, and a seal of the blood that we have in Christ. That you will, Father, nourish our souls. That you will give us surety and courage to know that when the day of judgment comes, we will stand before you in Christ. Revelation tells us these are the ones that the Lamb was slain for. These are the ones who have had their garments washed in the blood of the Lamb. These are your holy ones. These are the nation upon nation. These are those that the Lamb of God has rescued. That we might be in that number, Father. We pray that we would all be found in that number. We thank you, Father, that you have told us this, that you have warned us beforehand and you have prepared and given your Son for us that we might not face that judgment. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.